0: Wir haben so vieles geschafft, wir schaffen das.
1: Ich freue mich sehr, heute hier in Deutschland zu sein.
0: The Transatlantic Alliance is back and we are not looking backward. We are looking forward together. Unsere Meinung ist, dass Nord Stream 2 fertiggestellt werden sollte.
2: The fact that Germany is doing better so far, makes one humble, not overconfident.
0: Es ist ernst. Nehmen Sie es auch ernst.
2: Hello and welcome back to Neuschland. I'm William Blackcroft
1: and I'm Kate Brady. My goodness, what a week it has been. Corruption allegations, party politics making the front pages again, the conservatives pulling themselves apart. It's almost like the good old days.
2: I sort of remember the before times. And then came this friendly reminder. Jetzt stehen wir am Anfang der dritten Welle. diese dritte müssen wir gemeinsam so flach halten wie möglich.
1: Yes, the third wave is officially here. That was Lothar Wieler there, president of the Public Health Institute, the Robert Koch Institute, saying that the third wave is here in Germany and we need to keep it as flat as possible.
2: I'll be honest, I wasn't even aware that the second wave was over.
1: I think that happened when you were getting your haircut.
2: Hey, gotta get those curls taken care of while you can. And by the time this is all said and done, I might not have much hair left to cut.
1: Yep, the numbers are on the up again. As we record right now, the seven-day incidence rate is at 76.1 per 100,000 people. And only one of Germany's 16 states has an incidence rate of under 50. That's up in Schleswig-Holstein in northern Germany. And tell you what, a move up to Kiel's never sounded so appealing.
2: I do miss the sea. And the light at the end of the tunnel that we've been counting on, that we've been assured is coming, is feeling a little bit further away these days, even as more vaccines are getting approved in the EU. I mean, just back at the end of January, you had Jens Spahn, Germany's health minister, saying that we in Germany had 10 hard weeks Uh, still to go.
1: And now Merkel's telling us we've got another three to four hard months to go.
2: So where those ten weeks go, one has to wonder. And it's not only the rise in cases that's the big issue right now, but still the struggling vaccine rollout that just isn't making significant headway just yet. I mean, take one example right here in Berlin. When these vaccination plans were being put together at the end of last year, Berlin health officials said they expected that as many as 20,000 people a day could be vaccinated in just the six major vaccination centers that were being set up around the city. Well, that 20,000 number is now being used as an estimate for what can happen maybe starting in, as of the middle of April, and only with the help of thousands of additional regular doctor's practices coming aboard to join Germany's vaccination train.
1: And of course, before any of that can happen, we have to have a pilot phase. Of course. A test phase. What can happen in Germany without plenty of red tape to be snipped through first? You need a rubber stamp for this, a signature for that. And that's exactly what's happening right now during the pandemic. And it is, people laugh at it, we scoff at it, and all of the bureaucracy that we have here in Germany, but it really is becoming um, a bugbear, more so, <laughs> more than that, um, when it comes to how the government is dealing with the pandemic.
2: I mean, just to give another example when it comes to these doctor's practices, which, by the way, doctor's practices... Practices and pharmacies were a major part of the original vaccination plan. So it really leaves me at least scratching my head to wonder why it's taking from around November of last year when this was first all coming together to April of this coming year maybe at the earliest to bring these doctors offices and pharmacies on board getting vaccinations into those places how officials can still be saying we're just not quite sure how to fit them into the plan when that's been the plan all along
1: and there really seems to be a reluctance right now from you know from the top down to change the course of action depending on what's happening and reacting to what is happening in Germany if you look at some of the border regions especially between uh, Germany and the Czech Republic those are some of the worst hit areas by COVID-19 right now so you have the social democrats the SPD the junior coalition party right now in the governing uh, in the governing coalition they want to introduce this inf turbo they've called it the the turbo vaccination so this would apply specifically to some of those really badly hit border regions they want to do away with the the plan to prioritize different groups first and they just want to get as many people vaccinated in these badly hit regions as possible and of course that means bringing on board as many gps the house ads the general practitioners as they can but of course in the meantime Jens spahn the german health minister is adamant that the plan he has uh, that was announced in germany uh, previously with these prioritized groups is the one that germany is going
2: to follow and that seems like one of the big sticking points to getting doctors offices onboard and pharmacies, there seems to be a lot of concern. Of all the major concerns out there, just getting needles into arms, no, the bigger concern seems to be how are we going to trust that these doctors are going to stick to the prioritization rules. So there seems to be a little vertrauen is good, control is better situation going on here.
1: And in the meantime, it seems no one's really been held to account for the shortcomings. But but at the same time, we are certainly, I think, starting to see uh, that reflected in the polls a little bit. You have this uh, feeling of lockdown fatigue. Who knows the lockdown could indeed be tightened again, or we might not even make it to the planned easing of some restrictions towards the end of March. And of course, the slow vaccine rollout as well is starting to take its toll on on voters. And we're seeing that in the polls right now. The, the CDU, CSU was really profiting from its earlier relative success in handling the pandemic uh, with huge highs in the polls in the top 30s now they're heading towards the lower end of the 30s in the polls and of course as each week goes by everyone is looking more and more closely at those polls with every week we get a step closer towards the Bundestagswahl towards the federal elections in September and of course all of the regional elections between now and then. So the last thing the Conservatives probably needed this week was a whole load of scandals on their plates, which have now resulted in three Conservatives standing down.
2: We're talking, of course, about the affair.
1: So at the center of it all are two Conservative MPs. You have the CDU MP, Nicolaus Loebel. He resigned following revelations that his company, earned commissions of about €250,000 for brokering deals to procure face masks during the pandemic. He's now resigned from his seat in Parliament and won't be running again. At the same time, we have a second senior Conservative MP, this time from the CSU, the Bavarian sister party to the CDU, Georg Nusslein. He's left the CDU-CSU parliamentary group in the Bundestag but doesn't plan on giving up his seat before September's federal election. He earned a 600,000 euro commission for facilitating deals between a mask manufacturer and both the federal and Bavarian health ministries.
2: And it's not only the mass scandals. In the same week, a third conservative politician, Mark Hauptmann, also resigned from his seat in the Bundestag, following a report in the weekly news magazine Spiegel over lobbying allegations, specifically Azerbaijani, Taiwanese, and Vietnamese tourism ads, which ran in the Zu Thuringer Courier, a local newspaper that Hauptmann is the publisher of. So he's been accused of accepting money from foreign agencies.
1: So where does this all leave the conservative CDU and CSU now? Well, joining us for the first time on Neuschland is Ferdinand Otto, political reporter at German newspaper Die Zeit, where he focuses on the CDU. Ferdinand, welcome to Neuschland.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Ferdinand, it's been quite a week for the CDU, CSU, and not necessarily in the best of ways. You wrote quite in-depth analysis of all of the issues that the party or the two parties are facing. I thought your first line in that article really said it all. If I can just quickly, roughly translate it. Basically, you wrote, uh, the problem that the CDU and the CSU have is that they don't know where their problems begin and where their problems end. So can you take us through that a little bit? What do you mean by that? Uh,
0: The problem is it's uh, so intertwined, everything. Um, One problem leads to another First of all, um, it started with the scandal about, um, about the masks. That's a pretty small issue, I would say, but it, it leads to, to other problems. Um, one problem in general is that politics in the pandemic really doesn't seem to work out as good as it did a year ago um, vaccination testing and the money for for enterprises uh, doesn't doesn't flow as smoothly so there's a lot of things one thing kind of leads to another leads to another and um, above all we have new um, chairman of the party armin laschet who is preparing his bid for becoming chancellor and he's still in a, in a kind of a shaky position. And now his party is in, is in turmoil. And so that kind of all leads, one problem leads to another right now.
2: Yeah, it's definitely uh, a downward spiral, it feels. Was there any kind of thinking that this was possible a year ago? I remember all of the reporting, not only in Germany, but every country, every country's government was desperately trying to very, very quickly secure Tens or hundreds of millions of masks and other kinds of protective equipment uh, for medical uh, medical workers and also everyday people. Obviously, this was going to cost governments huge amounts of money. And to me, my first question is, who's going to benefit from this? Was Was there any kind of looking into this a year ago when these discussions were ongoing?
0: I think the the tendency in in public by then was kind of a whatever it takes mentality, kind of ah, just do it it's it's not so important who bought those masks and who's who's buying it it's important to get them to have them in, in the first place and it, i think in in this uh, scenario where everything had to happen really quick um, many people just were were thankful that uh things were unfolding and not kind of the question whether everything was playing by the books or or not so i think that's a part of the reason why why it took so long to um to unveil uh, what, what's been going on there.
2: Yeah, of course, it's interesting because when it comes to the money the government's been doling out to individuals and to small businesses, there the, 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 the focus has very much been on fraud and making sure that the money is being right. <laughs> when it comes to individuals, it seems like the government's very interested in making sure that money is properly spent or going in the right directions. But when it comes to these huge contracts, uh, that's been a bit a bit slower. That's been a bit sloppy, right.
1: Now, I think it's fair to say that this is by no means the first time that MPs have been caught up in scandals like these, and it certainly won't be the last. But often those lines between lobbying and corruption in Germany, they become very blurred. Can you explain to us a bit more about what exactly is and isn't allowed?
0: Well, first of all, it's, um, it is allowed for members of parliament uh, to... To own a business on the side it's allowed for them to um, not to close their their law firm or their um, their practice their when they're physicians or whatever and then it yeah of course it gets blurred there are um, transparency rules you have to in some steps make uh, public how much money you earn besides from your being in Parliament of course it's not not always clear where this money comes from and where a possible conflict of interest might arise it's it's illegal to take money for for your own benefits for for writing a law this way or that way to benefit a, your own business or whatever that that would be illegal that would be corruption but as i said the, the line is very blur it's um, intention it's by design that you can run a business on the side but of course um, that r- rises certain conflicts of interest
1: and now of course we have this new lobby register on the horizon in germany these scandals that have been bubbling away for the last uh, couple of weeks or so, they've actually helped to speed up the drafting of this law now. So lobbyists are going to be required to make their influence more transparent. Tell us a bit more. How is that going to work in practice?
0: It's been in the debate for for quite some time. We've been talking about lobbying and the rules of lobbying for, for decades really now in Germany. And especially it's CDU and CSU always kind of didn't want to touch the subject because it's I I wonder why (laughs) I wonder why it's it's a fishy it's a very fishy subject and the ministries for example uh, they were um, to to some degree excluded from lobbying rules um, until now and uh, that will be much more transparent but uh, what will not come and that's a very interesting thing is a lobbying footprint meaning that you have to make public which firms have been drafting a law and which haven't and uh, that that kind of is a would would be a very very interesting and very uh, very hard anti-lobbying measure. That will not come.
1: So basically, from now on, they're going to have to clarify who is going in and out of the Bundestag and the ministries, but there won't actually be any information on the area of business that's been dealt with.
0: That's it. So it's a first step, but it's it's not really what um, NGOs like Lobby Control have been hoping for.
2: And I feel like it's important for our listeners who aren't in Germany or maybe don't know the German system so well to really understand how close the state and private enterprise work together, that in many ways, the state is very actively and heavily involved in business and in profiting from business. I'm just thinking of the car industry for one. I mean, the car industry and Germany's export economy and the success of Germany overall are so closely intertwined that you have a very, very close relationship between state and enterprise. Do you feel like that's an accurate an accurate way to frame things when it comes to the influence of business and private interests in government affairs and in, in in regulation?
0: That's very accurate. I mean, Niedersachsen is one of the biggest stakeholders of Volkswagen. So that's, that's a thing many listeners won't know about Germany. And also you see the, the very close personal intertwine between like a person uh, coming out of politics, going into car lobbying and stuff—that—that that happened a lot of times. Of course, they're taking their phone books, taking their contacts, taking their their friendships, and uh, that's the thing that. Um, there's there the line is really blur because how would you how would you separate like friendship with old colleagues from from lobbying of course that's kind of an an influence you have you've built around your 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 personal ecosystem and then you take it uh, switch your position to to car industry of course you're not um it's not mandatory to to cut off all ties to your old friends to your old it
1: certainly seems that a, a seat on a on the board of a huge company is definitely the the retirement of choice for a lot of politicians in Germany.
0: Well, yeah, of course, it's always been a a demand to kind of have a cool down phase after you're active in top positions in in politics. But of course, I mean, even after a year, you're still uh, you still have your networks like Sigmar Gabriel, the former uh, chairman of the Social Democratic Party, now working for. Uh, Deutsche Bank. And um, of course, you have Gerhard Schröder now working working for for Russia and all all those cases. I mean, even if they are out for a year or two, they still know everybody have the phone numbers, have influence.
1: So with all these scandals flying around and also, as we know, an extremely slow vaccine rollout, where does this leave the CDU and CSU right now? Timing's Anything but optimal voters are heading to the polls in two states on Sunday, in Rhineland, Palatinate, and also Baden-Württemberg. So what effect do you think these, these scandals will
0: have? Well, it's hard to to, uh, to tell because um, I think in, in both we see a, uh, a rise in... in- Mail-in ballots, of course, uh, because of the pandemic. So I think a, a, a lot of people will already have decided. So um, for for those elections, uh, the effects might be even smaller than than we think. But of course, in in the long run, we have a a year with six regional elections, and of course the Bundestagswahl in in September. And the longer this scandal is kind of cooking and it's gonna be devastating if, if the the vaccine rollout, the testing still doesn't come, that's all going to fall back on the CDU mainly.
1: For a long time it seemed like it was a given. We've talked about this, I think for the last at least couple of years, especially pre pandemic, that it seemed like a black green government, so a conservative green government was likely was most likely to be the, the coalition of choice after September's Bundestagswahl, the national election. But that isn't looking so certain anymore, is it?
0: Well, there's always been a, a degree of, of uncertainty, and um, of course, it's um, it's. Um, polls are are moving up and moving down over this past year, as we haven't seen in a very long time. I mean, let's remember when the pandemic started, uh, CDU and CSU both both um, had a gigantic boost in popularity, uh, and um, now it's it's kind of trembling. Now they're back to around thirty uh, percent. That's probably more or less where uh, they started off a year ago. So um we really can't seriously predict um the outcome of this election that's um, one thing i i guarantee you no no one can foresee the next uh, six months
2: I would say an indication of just how unpredictable politics can be is when you see the FDP, the free Democrats, the the liberal business party and the left what comes out of the former Communist Party uh, getting together on certain issues about transparency and corruption. I think that alone uh, blows away any kind of assumptions we might have about. How things can develop over the next several months.
0: That's a, a very interesting coalition in, uh, in in the opposition. Those uh, three parties: the Green, the Liberals, and uh, the the Left Party, and they've been working kind of closely together, especially when it comes to investigations in uh, like the Wirecard uh, scandal. Those those three parties really have found their their common interest in kind of. The, the meaning of the parliament the rules of the parliament and they are kind of um, bound together by their disgust for the far right afd and so that kind of made them made them cooperate because for some things in parliament you need a a certain number of um, of of members of parliament to to kind of vote for an investigation for example and that made them cooperate.
1: We should mention as well that, of course, the elections in the states of rhineland palatinate and Baden-Württemberg are also the first test for the new party leader of the CDU, Armin Laschet. It's the first regional election since he uh, was appointed as party leader. What will the results on Sunday or what potential effect could they have on his hopes for running for the CDU as the conservative chancellor candidate?
0: Well, of course, he, he will try to, to, to distance himself from those outcomes. And especially in the, in the southwest, um, we have a rather conservative CDU. Um, their favorite always has been Friedrich Merz, and uh, not Armin Laschet. So um, there's kind of I wouldn't necessarily call it bad blood, but there's at least tension in the party in the party. But I, I don't think those two elections already will decide whether he is going to be um going to run for chancellor or not. I think um I think he will. I, I think he ultimately will. He he will succeed. And um and those two elections have kind of an other symbolic meaning for him. And that's, it sets the tone, it sets the mood of how you enter this year with so many elections. So the the consequences are kind of on, a, uh, on an emotional level, I would call it.
2: At an end, maybe a last question to end on is the big picture. How much do you feel all of these issues, whether they're scandals, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's who's going to be the next chancellor candidate for the CDU, how much of this is about the end of the Merkel era, that Angela Merkel for so many years has defined the CDU and really defined Germany. And now we have a, a huge, you know, the biggest party in Germany trying to find its way. What do all of these issues, if at all, tell us about the end of the Merkel era?
0: Well, I think those um, scandals would have arisen even if uh, she would extend her period of, of office. But it tells us a lot about how, how a party deals with those kind of scandals. I mean, the, the uncertainty is just so big. This party really is in a, um, in a, in a moment of reassurance. They want to kind of feel who they really are for themselves. And in, in this moment of, of, of weakness, you might call it, of uncertainty, of great uncertainty, Um, those scandals erupt and um, that kind of makes this whole construction, this whole party very shaky, very nervous and also very frustrated. If you talk to to members of parliament, um, they're they're really, really angry right now at this moment. They're angry at their colleagues. They're angry that the things in the pandemic, the vaccination really don't unfold the way they plan to. And they're really worried about um, how this election year might might go down.
1: And we'll be there every step of the way. That's Sunday evening's entertainment sorted anyway with those two state elections. Ferdinand, thank you so much for joining us on Neuschland. it a pleasure. Well, that's it for this week. We'll be back soon to pick apart the results of Sunday's elections down in Rheinland-Palatinate and Baden-Württemberg. Until then, don't forget, you can subscribe to us or even leave us a review on your podcast provider. Or you can also find us alongside a bunch of other great podcasts at the podcasting network Bear Radio. They're at bearradio.org or find them on Twitter at Bear Radio Berlin. Till next time, mach's gut.